Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Last week, Pastor Brian Jones kicked off the series, Love God, Love People, with a message entitled, Guarding Your Heart. Loving God with your heart is the starting point. Then you have your soul. Loving God with all your soul requires emotional health. Today's episode, It Is Well With My Soul. Here's Pastor Brian Jones. Will you uh, join me in thanking the band for leading us just so amazing to be able to worship. And uh, if you're one of those people who love worship, I got good news. Uh, At the very end, we're going to end with a song so you can prepare for that. So you have to put up with the message for just a little bit. Fair enough? Well, I hope you are well. We are continuing in a series called Love God, Love People. And I started off last week speaking about the idea that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, They were trying to trap Jesus when they asked him this question, what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, I mentioned last week they had 613 commandments they followed. So in essence, they never really thought Jesus would answer. But to their surprise, he says, the greatest commandment is this, love God with your heart, love God with your soul, love God with your mind, and love God with your strength. So we were unpacking what that means. Uh, For years, I thought this was just sort of a general love, a relative love. But when Jesus speaks about loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what I want you to understand is he's speaking about something very specific with each one. And that's what we're spending time over these next four weeks really unpacking as we speak about this. And then Perry's going to spend two weeks talking about loving others. Last week, I talked about what it means to love God with your heart. That in essence, the most important part of your faith is this, that your heart has been transformed. And according to Ezekiel 36, what God is not doing is he's not trying to make bad people and make them good, as I shared last week. He's not trying to make mean people nice. What he's doing is he's taking dead people and he's making them alive with the gospel, the greatest story ever told. And so in essence, that's what we're looking at last week, and then we spoke about the fact that the heart is really about your commitment and your will. Now, if the heart is about your commitment and will, what I want you to understand right off the bat is that your soul has to do with your affections and your emotions. So when we speak about your soul, what we're really saying is that has to do with your affections and your emotions. Your soul is what expresses joy. Your soul is also what expresses sorrow. And so I want you to think about this. I want want to challenge you with this thought. It is possible to love God with your heart but not love God fully with your soul. Because in essence, what happens is we believe God alone transforms your heart. But what God will not do is he will not give you emotional health. You will have to work through your own pain, your problems, your past. You have a part to play when it comes to your soul. And so in essence, it's possible to be in here and know the God of the Bible and to sing about Jesus being the Prince of Peace but not experience it in your soul with your affections and your emotions. And so I would contend that what Jesus is really after when he speaks about loving God with your soul is actually emotional integration. You'll see a chart right here. What Jesus is after is being emotionally integrated or emotionally healthy. And so if you're not emotionally healthy or integrated, there's almost two extremes you can go to. The first is being emotionally repressed. This is where you don't like to share things, you withhold things, uh, you really don't like being vulnerable or transparent, you kind of keep things bottled up because you almost feel like emotions are weakness. 
And then there's almost another side of this, uh, the opposite side, which is more being emotionally volatile or emotionally enslaved. It's like people's thoughts of you or an interaction with the person can almost entrap you and you become enslaved by feelings. Now, out of curiosity, when you looked at this chart, how many of you, before you put yourself on there, placed a family member or your spouse? It's a church, you gotta be honest. A few of you. I just wanna tell you, if you're raising your hand, we have an amazing care ministry. They'd love to pray with you, (laughs) offer counseling and support. But this does have to be family approved, okay? Because some of you are going, you know what? Like, I'm definitely emotionally integrated. Like, my middle name is emotional health. And your spouse is going, yep, he's repressed, he's repressed. (laughs) But you know, the reason I think this is so important is for years I almost thought this was like secular or optional stuff. But I would contend to you this, that Jesus was the most emotionally integrated person on planet Earth. He laughed at the right time. He cried at the right time. He got angered at the right time when he flipped over tables. He was silent before his accusers at the right time. He listened at the right time. He asked questions. And so what I want you to see is when we talk about your soul, for years I thought this was sort of optional or extra credit. But if Jesus is saying the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your affections and your emotions really do matter to God. In fact, I I would suggest this, that worship is the language of the soul. So if you're not in a place where your affections and your emotions are in a right spot, it's gonna be hard for you to come in and worship God with your soul because something's offline. So what I wanna do today is simply do two things as we talk about what it means to love God with your soul. I wanna show you in the Bible someone who struggled with some emotional ups and downs. And I just wanna unpack his story a little bit and then I wanna give you a couple things in your program that will help you as you seek to honor God with your affections and your emotions and you seek to love God with your soul. Now, uh, the character that I wanna look at in the Bible who struggled with some emotional ups and downs that had to learn to deal with his soul was actually a man named Elijah. Now, when you look at the story of Elijah, there's really three main chapters on Elijah. There's more, but there's three main chapters that really uh, depict his life. 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, and 1 Kings 19. Now, in 1 Kings 17, really two things happen when we look at the story of Elijah. First, he goes and he confronts this evil, wicked king, King Ahab, and then he ends up miraculously healing this widow's son. Now, the story in 1 Kings 17 starts off with this. It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, just a little backstory, important to know this, but uh, when you have King Solomon and King David, Israel is united, they are one group. But when Solomon's son takes over, he starts to introduce this heavy taxation plan. And the Bible says that the people rebel and the kingdom actually divides into two kingdoms. So whenever you're reading Chronicles or Kings, it will sort of interchange between these two kingdoms and the the Bible assumes you know which area it's talking about. So let me just show you this map to help you. So when we speak about Elijah, uh, we're speaking about him being in the northern kingdom with King Ahab. So King Ahab ruled everything that was in the purple. He was an evil king, the Bible says, probably one of the most wicked of Israel. 
Now below that little yellow circle right there, that's actually where Jehoshaphat was king. The Bible says in 1 Kings 15 that he was a good king, that he tore down the pagan shrines and the worship of that day. And so in essence, these two, if you want to read more about it, uh, in 1 Kings 22, uh, King Jehoshaphat aligns and creates a treaty with uh, King Ahab, and God ends up saying this was not a part of the plan. And so there's, there's punishment, but overall what you'll see is Jehoshaphat was a good king, Ahab was wicked and evil. In fact, on this side screen you'll see right here, anytime you look at the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, there are 10 tribes, 19 leaders, all of them in the kingdom of Israel were evil Wicked kings, the Bible says. The southern kingdom's different. There are two tribes, 17 leaders, and eight were good. Now, here you have biblical proof that God loves the south more. Amen? <laughs> Land flowing with sweet tea and sunshine and southern hospitality. Yeah. Amen. Amen. If you're from New York, I just want to say welcome. We love you as well. California, all of you are welcome. But you know, it's interesting. Right after this happens, King Ahab is this wicked king. Verse 2, it says this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth Brook or the Kareth Ravine. Now, notice this. I was talking with JC, and he made a point that really stuck out to me. But notice that God calls Ahab or calls Elijah to go confront Ahab. And then notice what he does in the very next verse, go and hide. How disappointing. You, you have to think that Elijah's probably thinking back to God calling another man, Moses, and when Moses is called to confront Pharaoh, remember what happens? He gets 10 plagues, he gets power, he gets glory. And here you have Elijah where God says, go and hide. And what's interesting is, it goes on to say, he goes and hides, well, your version might say the Kareth Brook or the Kareth Ravine. Do you know what the Kreeth Brook or the Kreeth Ravine means in Hebrew? It literally means to be cut down or cut off. So Elijah has this moment where he thinks it's going to be glory and power. Next, things, next thing he knows, he's hiding in a spot that means to be cut off or cut down. Can I just say this? Sometimes we get cut down so that we can be built back up stronger. Amen. Sometimes we want to move forward in power. We think we're ready, but sometimes it is the kindness of God. In fact, you pray about it, but I think part of the reason that Elijah is in the Kreeth Ravine, he's being cut off, is God is preparing him for the work that he's about to do. Because the Bible says that what happens is he is literally cut off from everyone. Remember who comes and feeds him? It's ravens. He has no interaction with other people. He is cut off from the outside world. And not only that, I would contend that he's cut down from his independence and his pride. It is in the Kreeth Ravine that it seems like God is building him up and growing him in a way that will prepare him for the future. It is in those seasons that you walk where it feels like you are being cut down, and I don't know why if you're in that spot right now. I don't know why it is you are in that Kreeth Ravine moment, but can I say this? It is God's plan to build you back with a faith and a trust and a power that you could never have without that season. So can I just encourage you, if you came into a spot, you are a prime candidate for a person that God wants to develop and give you a real spiritual peace and power that would not come without that season. And if you're anything like me, when you're in those seasons, the first thing that I do is I ask God why. But I invite you this morning, if you're in that season, to not ask God why, 
Tell him to have his way with you. Ask him to let his will be done because it is in those spaces you would find a power that you never have. I find it interesting that as soon as Elijah is called out of the Kareth ravine, he goes and the Bible says he miraculously heals this widow's son. It's almost like there's a power that he has in this moment. And that's what you see in 1 Kings 17. And then you move to 1 Kings 18. And 1 Kings 18 is like a highlight reel for Elijah. Like if he was creating a resume as a prophet, 1 Kings 18 would be like the two things he had on there. Because the first thing he does is he confronts these 450 prophets of Baal. And the next thing he does is he begins to pray and it rains. So the Bible says in, in 1 Kings 18 that there are these gods that the people of Israel worship. And King Ahab was a wicked king, so one of the gods they worshipped in that culture was this Canaanite god called Baal. If you ever see Baal in history books or if you see pictures of him, a lot of times he is depicted holding a lightning bolt because he was the god of storms and he was the god of fertility. And so in essence, what Elijah does is he says, let's have a showdown to see who the one true God is, your God, Baal, or my God, Yahweh. And so in essence, what happens is they decide they're going to get this altar, they're going to place this animal on there, and they say, here's what's going to happen. We're going to pray, and whatever God comes down and consumes this altar in fire, that's the one true God. Elijah goes, all right, you're up first. And so they start praying. The Bible says they do perverse, wicked things. They cut themselves. They dance. They sing. One of the reasons I love the Bible is that it doesn't omit stuff because it doesn't say like Elijah was praying for them. It says Elijah was taunting them and mocking them. And he's going, this is all you got? All afternoon, the Bible says they pray and they pray, but it is futile. Nothing happens. Then Elijah, the Bible says, steps onto the scene and he says, this is too weak for my God. And so in essence, what he says is get some water, douse this altar with water, and then my God will show up. And so he begins to pray in 1 Kings 18 in this moment. And listen to what happens as he begins to pray for the presence of God to show up in verse 37. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. I love this, verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And so in essence, what happens is after this, the Bible says he goes and he kills these 450 prophets of Baal, which might seem harsh. But, but these folks were wicked, perverse people, terrorists. They, they were involved in child sacrifices. And so he ends up doing this. And what's amazing after this is that after this highlight moment, he's not done. Because in the beginning of verse 1, what we remember is that Elijah prays to God and he prophesies that it won't rain till he prays again. So after this moment, he looks at Ahab. You know, like the stories you hear about Babe Ruth when he would go up to bat, one of the things he would do is he would kind of point and it, it was his way of calling out that he was going to hit a home run. And you almost see this moment with Elijah because he looks at Ahab and he's like, I got a moment for you. He's like, my God's going to do something. He's like, it's going to rain. 
And he sends Ahab to go look for these clouds. Ahab comes back, there's no clouds. Elijah goes, no, 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 I want you to look this time. And the Bible says that as he begins to pray, it begins to rain three and a half years later. And we know it's three and a half years later because it says that in James 5.17. Listen to this. Elijah was as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield his crops. So you have this moment where it seems like Elijah is on cloud nine. If you were looking at this story right now, you'd go, you know what, it's just up and to the right. Everything's great. But then you see in 1 Kings 19, everything begins to tumble down because of one thing, a woman. You can insert your own joke there. I'm not going to play that game. But you know, my wife and I, when we're getting ready to have kids, we went through every baby name possible. I mean, we got books. We actually put them on note cards. We put them on, you know, our mirrors. We were trying to pick names. There was only one name that we never actually considered, and that was Jezebel. And there's a reason that you never consider Jezebel because the Bible says she was one of the most wicked women in all the Bible. In fact, she was married to the most wicked king, King Ahab. And so Elijah's on this mountaintop. Everything seems to be going well. And then the Bible says Jezebel, after he kills the 450 prophets of Baal, sends him a note. And this is what she says in 1 Kings 19, verse 2 through 4. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, being the prophets of Baal. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, the town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Doesn't seem like Elijah's doing too well in that moment, does it? You ever have one of those moments where it's like things just escalate quickly? Like you get off work, you come back in, and you look at your spouse, and you're like, hey, what's for dinner? And they just give you that evil look. And then all of a sudden, you just get these questions, do you even love me? Do you care about my soul? Do you know what I've been doing? And you're just like, this went zero to 90 very quickly. Anybody else have that, just me? I just thought this was a safe place in here. But you know what it's like? The problem with emotions is sometimes you can just be enslaved by emotions. Like you go on vacation, and it's like one morning you wake up and you're like, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. The next day nothing happens, but you just wake up and you're like, let's burn it all down, God because it's just like sometimes emotions can be all over the place. And you see this, Elijah's up here. Next second, he's down here. But here's what's interesting. Elijah does not have a heart issue. Because if God, if he had an issue with his heart, God would have said, hey, you got a sin issue you got to deal with. But yet, do you know when, when Elijah's in this emotionally almost volatile place, do you remember what his antidote, what does God give Elijah when he's in this spot? What is it? A nap. He gives, yes, God gives Elijah two things, a nap and a biscuit, all right? That's what he gets. And if you remember the story, remember what Elijah says somewhere on down in verse 19? 
Elijah's like, God, there's no one else but me that's following you. God's like, actually, there's 7,000 prophets that are following you or follow me. And so in essence, what happens is he doesn't have a heart issue. His heart, he loves God. But something is off in his soul that is affecting his ability. His emotions and his affections are not where they intended to be. Can I just say, it's not enough to come to this service, to know the Bible, to just sing songs about him being king of kings and the prince of peace, and then have a soul that is disconnected and at odds. For years, I thought it was just part of life to love God with your mind, but then to have a soul that was in chaos. And in essence, what Jesus says is you don't get to pick and choose. If you want to love me, you love me with every fiber of your being. That means your affections and your emotions, your past, your family of origin, the problems that you have, all this stuff in your life are things that have to be dealt with so that you can get to this place where your soul is at peace with God and your worship flows out of that place. And so Elijah had to learn this. In fact, at the end of 1 Kings 19, God begins to meet with him and help him as he begins to experience this emotional health, and this emotional integration. Now, I just want to give you a couple things that might be helpful as you, like Elijah, seek to love God with all of your soul. And the first thing that I want to say is that if you are going to love God with your soul, it means that we have to have an authority and a vulnerability. We have to have an authority and a vulnerability. There's a great book by a man named Andy Crouch called Strong and Weak. And one of the things that he says is that if you look at Jesus' life, there are in essence two characteristics that made him such a great leader. The first is that he had strength. He had this resilience. He had this power. He had this draw to him. He, in essence, had this presence. But he also had a sense of vulnerability, a sense of authenticity, a gentleness and a kindness. And we know that Jesus had both of these because remember what it says about Jesus? That all authority on heaven and earth was given to him. So he had an authority, but he also had a vulnerability because the Bible says that people who are down on their luck, the broken and the hurting and the needy, they were the ones that approached Jesus. And so he was both these things. And in essence, what happens if we're not careful is, I'll go back to that chart, is that we, we can almost tend to play to one side or the other. So if you operate with a lot of authority and you get to the place where you don't like to let people in, you like to repress things, you like to keep them hidden, you almost view them as weakness, you struggle with transparency and honesty, even this talk is making you a little uncomfortable, then probably what's happening is that somewhere you are leaning too much to authority. But if you're on the other side and you're, you're more on this vulnerable side, that you find yourself like each morning you wake up and your emotions are all over the place, and it seems almost like you're a leaf in the wind, then perhaps you're leaning too much on vulnerability because you're so aware of what you're not good at, you're so aware of your weaknesses, you're constantly being transparent about what you struggle with. But the problem is for many people, if you're in this category, you're more aware of your weaknesses than you are your strengths. And so you become almost insecure because you constantly are reminding yourself who you're not and instead of who you are. And can I just say, if you're in this spot where, where you're struggling with the authority side of it, I was there for years. Can I just say, the invitation for you is to start to share with someone. Be honest about what it is that you're going through. For years, I was at a spot where I wouldn't share anything. 
One of the things that's amazing about our church, if you've been around for a while, aren't our, isn't our care ministry just amazing? Just what, what God does in the care ministry. In fact, Gene, how many uh, care volunteers do we have or lay counselors do we have? Volunteers over 300. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, we can clap for that. Come on. If you were at 9 o'clock, I apologize. I said 50. I was a few off. So, But here's the thing. You know, find a place where you can be honest and share what it is that, that God is shaping. You don't have to share with everyone. But maybe the first step is just to be honest about some pain in your past, something you are navigating. And the invitation is probably different. If you're here on this vulnerability side, sometimes you need to stop sitting in something. Sometimes you need to share it. You need to be honest. But after a while, if you just keep dieseling in this thing, it's like you're almost living in this space. And so there's an invitation to, for some of us to share. For some of us, it's to stop sitting in. In fact, let me just say the second part of this. When you learn to love God with your soul, it means that you start preaching to your soul. You stop listening to your soul and you start preaching to your soul. Listen to what Psalms 43.5 says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love this. In essence, what the psalmist is saying is that it's almost like his soul is saying, hey, we got some problems. Soul, we got some issues. We've got some things that aren't going well. And so he's listening to his soul. But you notice the last half of verse 5, what he starts doing? He stops listening to his soul and he starts preaching. Hey, soul, I see that, but guess what we're going to do? We're going to put our trust in God. Hey, soul, we're going to put our hope in God. Hey, soul, God has been faithful for this long. He's not going to leave us now stranded. And so he begins to stop listening and he begins to start preaching to himself. Can I just be transparent with you guys? You know, there was a moment a couple weeks ago, and I found myself where my confidence was almost a bit rattled. In fact, I got done um, preaching, and, and I was talking to someone uh, in the lobby, and they said something they thought was helpful, but it wasn't all that helpful to my soul. <laughs> and then I had this moment where, like, just some of the thoughts almost like my soul started speaking to me and it's like, you know, I'm thinking about can I do this? I'm running a fast pace. You know, there's this moment where I'm thinking about, you know, I'm stepping into a role for a beloved senior pastor who's been here 30 years and all these thoughts start entering my mind, you know? Am I a good enough preacher? Am I a good enough leader? Can I do this? Am I a good enough visionary? And I just sensed that my soul was trying to say some things, so I almost did this Jesus time out. I got alone with God, and I said, God, what do you want to say to me about this? You know what God said to me? He said one thing. He said, Brian, your confidence is in one thing, and that is your calling. Your confidence is not in your ability. Your confidence is not in your strategy. Your confidence is not in the people. Your confidence is in me the God of the universe. And so throughout the week when those things started creeping in my mind, whenever things would come up, you know, to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, what about this? I'd be going, I hear that. So, but my confidence is in my calling. And then I have moments where other things would pop in and all of a sudden it's like I stopped listening. I'm like, hey, I appreciate you bringing that up, soul, but guess what? My confidence is in my calling. Hey, soul, nice try, but guess what? My confidence is in my calling. And so I stop listening to myself, I stop listening to my soul, and I start preaching to my soul. 
Can I encourage you that God doesn't want to just get you by things. He wants to make you victorious. What I am advocating is not a self-confidence. It is a spirit confidence. Because self-confidence will take you to the edge of your talents and abilities. Spirit confidence will take you beyond your talents and abilities. It will take you into places with the spirit of God that you have no business going outside of his spirit resurrecting you with a new power and a new strength. And sometimes it is those Kareth Ravine moments where he cuts you down so that he can build you up with a new strength and a new power. And so in essence, what is it that God might be calling you to preach to yourself this morning? Third thing I'd say is this, is that God wants to heal your pain. Loving God with your soul means that God really does want to heal your pain. He doesn't want you to keep carrying those things. He doesn't want you to sit in. He doesn't want you to repress those things that you are navigating. God wants to bring real healing. In fact, you know that song that It Is Well? There's a song that you might be familiar with, the It Is Well song, but it's actually written by a man named Horatio Spafford. And the story goes that, that he was a lawyer in Chicago. His son died with pneumonia at an early age, and then his wife and his four daughters were going on this trip. They were going on this boat. The story goes that this boat crashed into another boat, and the boat sank, and everyone was killed. His four daughters were killed along with everyone else except for his wife, and his wife sent this note, saved alone, come quickly. The story goes that Horatio Spafford was actually on a boat, and the captain came up to him when they were in the spot where it was suggested that his daughters had drowned, and he said, this is the spot where the boat went down and your daughters drowned. And you know what? That moment was a spot where, in essence, he pinned these words, it is well with my soul. Because God was doing something in him. It didn't remove all the pain, but it was a spot where he was inviting God into the pain of that moment. And can I just say that you have two options when it comes to your pain? You have two options. One is in essence that you get to this place where you just transfer your pain onto something else. But the other option is that you let God transform you in your pain. You only have two options. And so what God wants to do is he doesn't want people who just sit in their pain. He doesn't want people who repress it. He really wants to take your pain and heal that and give you an inner peace and give you an inner strength so that others can look at you and go, if God can do that in your life, he can do that in mine. I think sometimes we fall prey to the belief that healing really does happen one day on the other side of eternity. That's not true. Jesus is saying it's possible right now to experience the healing in your soul. But that comes as you choose not to hide those things from him. In fact, I want to show you this picture that I just thought was really moving. This is from an artist. But the story goes that this artist had these plates that were a part of his family heirloom. This was all that his mother had given him. And this plate, as he was grabbing these plates, the story goes that he dropped one of the plates and it cracked. And he was devastated because this was like his family heirloom. So he started beginning to wonder, what is he going to do with a cracked plate? And then he had this idea to take that cracked plate and make it art. So he actually had a couple of these plates that he ended up cracking, and in essence what he did was he took these pieces that were shattered and going to be discarded, and now they're art for people to come and see. If this is not a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. 
The gospel is not that you cobble your life together, you get yourself together, you come and heal your pain, and then all of a sudden God will bless you. The gospel is this, you bring everything, you come just as you are. You stop hiding, but you stop repressing that pain. Some people are in this room and you're carrying stuff for years that you've never dealt with. Other people are just sitting in stuff. And even as we speak, you know it's not well with your soul because there's bitterness, there's frustration, there's worry. And God is inviting you in this moment to be still and to actually experience a God that will meet you in that pain and make it well in your soul. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to give you a minute or so. And the band's going to sing it is well. And what I want you to do, if you want to respond to God, just right where you are, sit. Share whatever God has placed on your heart. They're just going to sing over you. I want you to take this time and just let the Spirit of God begin to heal some areas in your life as you share or you release or you speak to Him about whatever's on your heart. So take this moment as the band sings over you and then we'll close out. As we close out, I felt led to do something I wanted us to actually close with our fourth point, which is this, that loving God with our soul means we worship. So what I want to do is I just want to read Psalms 100 over us one more time, Psalms 103, and then I just want to give you a chance to worship. This is what it says in Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives all our inequity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Amen. Can I just encourage you this? My last church, there was a good friend of mine who used to say to me all the time, hey, Brian, not really a worship guy more of an intellectual guy and sometimes I'm honest, I kind of slip out during worship and I come back when the message is on. And I began to encourage him that what God wants is not selective parts of us. We're going to talk about the mind next week, but what God wants is the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strengths. So that means we don't get the option of going, well, hey, I'm an intellect person or I'm a worship person. The Bible says we bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that's within me. And I watched this guy who was almost completely disengaged in worship, and this was usually his posture. And then he'd look around, and I watched God do something in his soul. In fact, one of my favorite moments I told my wife before I left was seeing this man worship. Because here was a guy who never once sang the lyrics, never once engaged God with his soul, but by the end of it, I would sort of watch him in a non-creepy way. <laughs> because it was one of the purest parts of worship for me, because here was a guy who'd done this most of his life, never engaged, and then I'm watching him just with freedom and joy express his heart to God. Imagine what it must do to the heart of God when he looks at people that are in this room and they're not just mindlessly singing lyrics. They are thinking about what it means to bless the Lord with all their soul. They are singing and declaring that he is king of kings and lord of lords. They are singing from a soulful place. So here's my invitation. I'm inviting you, if you've never worshipped God like this before, take a first step. Maybe for you this morning, it is thinking about the lyrics that you are singing. 
Maybe for you it is singing from a soulful place. If you're emotionally oppressed, this will be over in three minutes, I promise. You don't have to do too much painful stuff. But oftentimes when we raise our hands, that's just a way of saying, God, I love you with all my soul. I'm not mindful of the people around me. I'm mindful of you, so bless the Lord. That's... So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to sing this song, sing his praise again, and then we'll be done. So I encourage you with these last few minutes, let's sing from a soulful place. Let's honor God. Let's love him with our worship. Let's sing from our souls. Jesus, we sense you. We worship you. Forgive me for not thinking about lyrics that I sing on Sunday mornings. God, I pray that there be a freedom in worship that begins even today. That we would learn to love you with our soul in such a way that we would show up on Sundays and like the psalmist, we would just declare, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. And that's what we do this morning, God. We don't bless you from an emotional state. We bless you from a transformed state. That your spirit has redeemed us and made our hearts new. And from that, we choose to take the pain that we've repressed or we're sitting in and we give that to you so we can find healing this morning. And from that place, we would worship you with a soul that overflows and declares your glory. So God, we thank you. We thank you for this time to worship and praise your amazing, mighty, wonderful, good name. Everyone agreed and said amen. Hey, you guys are awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Can we just thank the band one more time for leading us? Yes, indeed. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. One way you can experience God at a deeper level is to spend time reading slowly through a passage of Scripture. Block out some time this week to read and pray through Psalm 103. See if you can move from understanding concepts to feeling emotions toward God in your heart. Notice what stirs in you as you read. Pay close attention to what you're feeling. May this time with God provide much-needed care for your soul. Here's this week's memory verse. Praise the Lord with my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. That's Psalm 103, verse 1. In our next episode, we'll continue the series, Love God, Love People. And to prepare, read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Please subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.